Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn over to the book of Acts, Acts 12, and we'll start there. We're going to continue this series on Sunday mornings about all in. And last week we talked about all in and we talked about being planted in God's house. Talked about being planted in God's house last week and we had life group Sunday. And I want to encourage you as well about life groups. If you haven't signed up for a life group, you still can. We'd love to have you a part of life groups. I'd love to have 100% participation in this church because I know what relationships and life groups will do for your life. And so we had life group Sunday last week. We talked about being planted in God's house. But this week... We're going to continue, and we're going to talk about how to be all in with God and all in with your church. And this week, I want to talk about prayer. And so Acts 12, in verse 1, it says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter And this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned and placed him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. And verse 5, key verse for today. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. Come on now, I need some Pentecostals in this house today. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. Very earnestly for him. And notice what happened. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers, and others stood guard at the prison gate. And suddenly, there was a bright light in that cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrist. So today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is, And the Church Prayed. And the Church Prayed. Now, I need some responders in the house of God this morning because I'm going to preach better when you respond this morning. You get more out of the service when you respond. And I want to talk about, And the Church Prayed. And the Church Prayed. If we're going to be all in with God and all in with our church, we're going to have to pray. Now, It is Valentine's Day. Do you want to know something that would just ruin your concept of Valentine's Day? Do you realize St. Valentine was beheaded today? (laughs) That's why it's called Valentine's Day. He was beheaded today. It wasn't about cards and candy and flowers and Walgreens runs because that's where all of you men are going after service because I just reminded you it's Valentine's Day. No, St. Valentine was beheaded today. Merry Christmas and Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. But you know what about Valentine's Day I want to say? It's all about love. If you love your church and if you love God, you're going to pray. There is my Valentine's Day exhortation. But here's something about prayer, and I want you to take me serious when when I say this. Whatever you pray for, you will love. Do you ever realize the people you are irritated at You don't pray for them. That's why you don't love them. You know, when people are frustrated about lost people and broken people and worldly people, you're not praying for them. 
Because if you prayed for them, you would love them. When you're upset about somebody in a relationship, it could be a husband or wife, it could be your children, it could be a friendship. When you're frustrated with them and mad at them, you're not praying for them. Because whoever you pray for or whatever you pray about, you will love. If you want to love the lost, pray for the lost. If you want to love your coworkers, pray for your coworkers. If you want to love the people you're in a relationship with, pray for those people. If you want to love your church, pray for your church. Because the more you pray for it, the more you will fall in love with them divinely because God will put that love in your heart. But you have to pray for them first. So if you love your church and if you love God's house, you've got to pray. And how do I cultivate more love for the church? I pray for my church. And the more I pray about my church, I love my church. So whatever you pray for, you will love more. That applies to the church and it applies to your relationships today. That was free. But the last few years, I have been convicted about prayer. And as the pastor, if I'm convicted, then we're all convicted. And I felt this for the past few years. I feel like personally and as a church community, we haven't prayed the way we should pray. Now, I'm not saying that in a condemning way whatsoever. I'm saying that in a way that God has wanted to do more in your life. But because we have not prayed personally, God has been not able to do what He wants to do because He has to have your cooperation and your agreement and your prayer life for God to move in your life. So when I say we haven't prayed enough as a church personally and as a church community, I'm not saying that to put you down. I'm saying that to to call you up. And for for there to be a deeper desire and a deeper hunger to pray like never before. Why? Because God wants to do more in your life than he's ever done. But he needs somebody to cooperate with him. And he won't move in your life without your cooperation. He won't. Now, can he do that? Yeah, he could if he wanted to, but he didn't set it up that way. He gave you a will. And he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into your life and make you do something. That's the devil. No, God says, I want to do more in your life, but if you don't pray, you won't experience it. Personally, but as a church community, and I know for a fact God has wanted to do more in your personal life, in my personal life, these past few years. And he's not been able to, not because he doesn't want to, but because he needs somebody to cooperate with him in prayer. God wants to do more in this church and could have done more in this church in the past few years if more people would have prayed. Because God needs someone to cooperate with him. Now, now don't think I'm saying something that's outside of the Bible because the Bible says that we are co-laborers and co-workers with God. It's in your Bible. And so it's not all God. And it's not all us. We are working together to see God's plan and God's will fulfilled in the earth. He is the head and we are the body. But we have to work together for the plan of God and the mission of God to be accomplished. The church and God working together. Or the Bible would say the spirit and the bride. They work together. 
So God wants to do more in your life. Now, I don't know about you, but you should be encouraged just by that statement. God wants to do more in your life, and it's not on his side, it's on your side. God wants to do more in this church, but he's just looking for somebody to cooperate with him in prayer. That his will and plan would be done. Now, let me tell you a little something about God's will. God's will. People try to talk so uber spiritual about this kind of stuff. And like everything that happens is just the mysterious will of the Lord. We don't know what God's going to do, but everything that happens, good, bad, ugly, tragic, horrible, great, everything is ultimately the will of God. It's not. It's not. If we didn't have any other verses than this, Jesus himself said in the Lord's prayer, pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said that, implying that it's not automatic that God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, why would you pray for that if everything that happens is already God's will? Come on, we're thinking people at Church on the Rock. We can understand this. Jesus said, pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, someone on earth has to get in agreement with God and cooperate with him and co-labor and co-work with him in their prayer life for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not automatic. It's not automatic for the planet. It's not automatic for your life. It's not automatic for your family. It's not automatic for this church that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unless somebody prays it through and cooperates with God in prayer. Are you following me so far? John Wesley said this, God does nothing. Ooh. Yeah, your religious spirits just trembled on that. God does nothing in except in response to believing prayer. He does nothing in this world except in response to believing prayer. Now, once again, could he do whatever he wants to do? Yes. But God didn't set it up that way. He didn't have to give us all a will. How many know that this planet would be a lot more nice and clean? There would be no sin if he would have said, none of you get a will. You're going to do exactly everything I say and tell you to do. It's all going to be my will. There would be no problems. There would be no pain. There would be no wars. There would be no sin. If it was just automatic with it, that whatever God wanted to will would be willed and would be done, but he didn't set it up that way. He gave us all a will. Because he doesn't want us to just be robots. He wants us to choose for ourselves. And the power to choose good is the power to choose bad. The power to choose God is the power to choose the, the enemy's way as well. But he gave us a choice. 
Listen to what Jesus said in the Gospels. He said this in Matthew and Mark. Jesus said that his house would be a house of prayer. Or if you live in the country, a house of prayer. His house will be a house of prayer. Now, now, what is the house of God? That was a trick question. Anthony got it right. <laughs> From last week, what is the house of God? The church. Okay. All right. I'm going to try this next week. We're going to try to ask you questions next week because this week. From last week, God's house is what? There we go. There we go. Now we're on track here. It wasn't a trick question. So if God's house is a house of prayer, that means the church should be a house of prayer. The house of God in the Old Testament, the house of God in the New Testament is the church. And God says through his word, Jesus said that his house would be a house of prayer. So that means that this church and every other church in the world should be known for prayer should be known for the prayer life of the church. It should be the house of prayer. So I mentioned this last week because some of the things last week are going to flow over to this week, that we need a church that has God's power. Now, the world is in bad shape. Anybody agree? Anybody watch the news? Have you been on social media recently? The world is a dumpster fire as we speak. The world. I didn't say the church. The world is. And so they need hope like never before. They need a church that's not running, hiding, and scared and running away from the big bad world because we're freaking out. Oh my gosh, Biden won. We need to run for the hills. Let's move to Mexico. Or if it would have been the opposite way. Trump won. Oh my gosh, I'm moving to Canada. How about you put your faith in God, for starters? How about you realize that you are the hope of the world? You are the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You have the power and authority as the church of Jesus Christ to change things. And God is waiting on you to do something about it. Not hide from the big bad world and let it just burn. What about the pandemic? The church should be speaking the loudest during the pandemic. What about racism? The church should be speaking the loudest about racism. What about COVID-19 and the financial crisis? The church should be speaking the loudest about it and not hiding, scared, acting like, I don't know. Do you guys know? I don't know. We don't got any answers. When we do have the answers... And we do have the hope of the world because Jesus is building his church through us. And so we need God's power like never before to change the world. And we can't just be a powerless church. There's too many of them around. We need to be a church that has some power. I got 50% of people with me in this congregation. I need 100% today. We need some power. And, and I'm not saying you don't have power just because you get up and do a Pentecostal jig. You don't get power just because you got a good sound system. You got some rock and worship. You have power when the church prays. 
Because we could have the nicest building. I'm about to preach better than you're responding. We could have the nicest building in town and the best sound system in town and the best singers in town and the best people in town and the best preachers in town. But if no one prays, nothing happens. Nothing. So if that's what's going to change the world, it's just buildings and and, and big budgets and, and platforms and people on stage and doing all these things and having the look of church, it would have been done. But nothing happens unless people pray and really pray. Not God, if you want to move, you can move. Or God, if you want to do, no, you're praying prayers like God, I know you want to move. God, I know you want to do something. God, I know you want revival. And let this place be a place of revival. Let your power be in this place. Let your healing power be here. Let your delivering power be here. Let, let, let everything that needs to be broken off somebody's life happen in this place because we're people of faith in this place. Praying prayers like that. Not, Lord, if it be thy will. <laughs> I just want to come to heaven. Because it's scary down here in 2021. Grow up. Be the church. God did not put you in this time on the planet to run scared and to go to Wyoming and buy a bunker waiting for the Lord to return. You're not laughing because you were thinking about doing it. Pastor, that was a good idea. I had my bunker bought in Wyoming, and I was getting out of here. I was going to listen to your podcast and everything. I love you, but I got to tell you the truth as your pastor. You hear so much nonsense six days a week. On the seventh day, I have to be a little forceful to get you to think right again about who we are as the church. And I'm not just saying this church. All the churches in the world should be thinking this way, preaching this way, praying this way. We shouldn't be an exclusive little group. And I know a lot of churches that are. I'm not saying they're not. There's churches all over the world doing this this morning. Way bigger than us. Some of these churches have thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people praying right now. When we're in this Little church in New Albany, Indiana with a couple hundred people. Don't ever think we're alone. We're a part of something real big. But let's play our part in what we're called to do in this region and change our world. But God will do nothing except in response to believing prayer. We need God's power as a church for change in the world. Do you know you need God's power to go to work every day? You need God's power to go to school every day. You need God's power to go to the grocery store. You need God's power to go to the gym. You need God's power to go to the BMV. And Lord, you know you need God's power to go in there. You ever thought of that before when you go in there? You're like, is this really what all of us look like in southern Indiana? Is it, is it really, we're all, we all really look this rough? It's pretty special. So you definitely need God's power to go into the BMV. But we need God's power to live 
And how does it come? By prayer. You get into God's presence and you pray. And when you pray, there's an exchange that happens. There's an exchange that happens. You could go into that prayer closet or that prayer time with God feeling weak, busted, and disgusted. (laughs) Feeling like all hope is lost and you just need to go back to bed. But there's something that happens (laughs) when you pray. There's an exchange of strength. There's an exchange of power. There's an exchange of anointing. There's an exchange, and God takes your weakness and gives you his strength. And God takes your sickness and gives you his healing. And God takes your your dysfunction and gives you deliverance. And God takes your hopelessness and gives you faith and hope again. But it only happens in prayer. It only happens in prayer. I know for a fact there's been many times I felt like I'm hopeless, I'm depressed, I just need to go back to bed. And if I pray and get in God's presence, I could be a completely new person. Why? Because there's something that happened when I prayed. And God exchanged all of my mess for his goodness and for his power. And I come out of there with some power and a new, renewed sense of hope and faith because I got in God's presence. But if there's no prayer, there's no power. A praying church is a powerful church, but a prayerless church is a powerless church. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Now, that's where we've been at as a church. But there's one more step. Much prayer, much power. And that's where we're going as a church family. You guys getting something so far today? James 5 and verse 15. I'm excited today. I love you. James 5 and verse 15 in the Amplified, it says, And the prayer that is of faith will save him who is sick, and the Lord will restore him, and if he had committed sins, he will be forgiven. Next verse. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Notice this, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. Now, we're still talking about prayer today. We're talking about, and the church prayed. And I want to talk to you a second about how we pray prayers that see power and produce results. The first thing I want to talk about, if we can put verse 15 back up, is the first thing that I see here in this passage, James 5 and verse 15. Now, this is if you want to see power and results in your prayer life. How many know it's not automatic once again? There's a lot of people praying prayers and seeing nothing in their life. There's a lot of people praying empty faithless prayers, and then they're wondering why nothing happens. There's a reason. Because God's talking in this passage about somebody who wants to see results and power in their life. So James 5, verse 15, notice, And the prayer that is of faith will save him who is sick, and the Lord will restore him, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Now let's stop right here. The first thing I want to share with you about what kind of prayers see power and see results is your prayer must be in faith. Notice it says the prayer of faith will save him who is sick. Not just prayer. The prayer that is of faith will see him restored. Not just prayer. The prayer of faith will see his sins forgiven. Not just prayer. If we're going to see prayer results and power in our prayers, we have to pray in faith. Now this is a faith church. And we are faith people at Church on the Rock. But when we pray, we need to have prayer faith. And and I'll tell you what this is. What is faith? Faith is not wishing and hoping when you pray. Let's be honest. When a lot of people pray or say they're praying, they're just wishing and hoping something happens when they pray. They're not really believing something is going to happen. It's not faith. I'm wishing and hoping and I have positive thoughts that something might happen. That's not faith. Faith is not wishing and hoping that God will do something. Faith is knowing that God is doing something. Faith is confidence that God is moving. The Bible says that faith is not doubting or wavering. It's confident that what God said is true, He will do, and I believe it. And so faith is not wishing or hoping or just positive thinking. Faith knows and is confident that God's will and God's word is true, and He will do what He said He would do, not doubting, not wavering. As it says in Romans about Abraham, it says that his faith, he was absolutely certain that what God promised he would do. That's faith. Not wishing, hoping, doubting, wavering. It's not faith. Faith is being absolutely certain that what God said he will do. And not believing that God can do something, but knowing God will do something. It's God's will. Now, how do we know that? We know God's will because we know his word. And faith is confident in God's will because he knows the word of God. Faith knows that it's happening. Faith is not wishing and hoping. So if we're going to see power and see results in our prayer life, we have to pray in faith, church. Now, how do you pray in faith? Well, you have to know God's will. Now, how do you know God's will? You have to know God's word. So when you pray, you can be absolutely certain. Why? Because his word says it, so that's his will for me in my life. Now, you can't pray in confidence without knowing it's God's will. You can't pray in faith without knowing it's God's will. Now, how could, how could these people pray for healing and forgiveness In the early church in James 5. Because they knew God's word. So they knew God's will. So if we're going to see results, we got to pray in faith. But let's go to the next verse. This is what else it says about praying. James 5 and verse 
16. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. And notice the last part. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So if we're going to see prayer that produces results, we're going to have to pray in faith. But I want to deal with a few of these words it says about the person who prays. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, some translations say fervent prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available. So not only do we have to pray in faith, knowing God's will, not wishing and hoping, but we need to do these things when we pray. The first word is earnest. Earnest means that you're sincere when you pray. How many know that God knows whether you're a phony or not? I'm not talking about how well you behave or how you act. I'm talking about whether you're sincere when you pray to him. He knows whether you're going through the motions or not. Even when you're praying. And it says the prayer that works and has power is a prayer that's earnest. Earnest means that you're sincere. Another definition of earnest is with intense conviction. When you pray, is there any intense conviction or is there apathy? Is there anything moving in your heart or you're just like, I guess I got to do this. No, God answers prayers that are sincere and earnest. God answers prayers that have some intense conviction to change personally, to change your family, to change your church, to change your world. Somebody's got to have some conviction. And that's the prayers that God hears and moves on. And there's some power and results released. So just ask yourself, are are my prayers earnest? Am I sincere? Do I have any conviction when I pray or I'm just doing it to do it? Because I'll feel bad if I don't. God doesn't want that. Y'all don't want a relationship like that with somebody else. You want somebody who loves you for you. Wants to be with you for you. That's sincere about it. That's earnest about it. So does God. The next word is fervent. I love this word because it's the way I preach. Fervent means passionate. Are you passionate in your prayers? Because those are the kind of prayers that God answers. Those are the kind of prayers that God hears. Those are the kind of prayers that we see power and results are fervent, passionate prayers. Just ask yourself that. Are my prayers passionate? Would would I describe my prayer life as passionate or cold as ice? (laughs) You set the temperature of your own prayer life. (laughs) God doesn't. He's always ready. He's always ready to hear you. He's always ready for a relationship. It's on our side. You set your own temperature. Passionate. 
And I think for a lot of us in here that have grown up in church or know about the Bible, we are the first ones to get cold. Because this is all you've ever done. So you're familiar with it. And when you're familiar with something, apathy steps in. Coldness steps in. Distance steps in because this is just my routine. And it's the same old, same old. Well, change it up then. You have to stay passionate in your prayer life to see results. And that's a choice you make. And I really believe this. If you started being more passionate in your prayer life, you would start seeing more results. And the more you start seeing more results, the more passionate you'll be to pray. I don't fault some people because some people are like, well, I haven't seen any results in a long time. That's why I'm so cold in my prayer life. Well, maybe you're not passionate in your prayer life. Therefore, you're not seeing results. Maybe if you turned up the heat a little bit and got passionate about seeking God, about praying out the plan of God, God would move. Because the Bible says the earnest, fervent, heartfelt prayers of a righteous man or woman produces great results and has great power with it. But notice, not just someone who's praying. But the earnest, sincere, with conviction, the fervent, the passionate prayer. And notice it says the heartfelt. The heartfelt means that you're genuine. That your whole heart's in it. God knows your heart. You can fool people. Can't fool God. God knows if he has your whole heart. And I want to say this with conviction. But sometimes the only times that we pray with our whole heart is when we're in trouble. Once again, maybe we wouldn't be in trouble so much if we prayed with our whole heart in the first place. Why does it have to take an emergency to get us to get back on our knees again? Why does it have to take a pandemic for people to get right with God again? Why does it have to take a crisis for us to be genuine and heartfelt and fervent and give God our whole heart? Why? It says that God answers the heartfelt, the genuine with your whole heart praying. Notice none of these things have anything to do with how many scriptures you know. None of these things have to do with your spiritual gifts. None of these things have to do with how sinless or perfect you are. They all have to do with your attitude and your heart. That's what God's looking at. That's always what God is looking at. The Bible says in the Old Testament, man looks at the out, but God looks at the heart. He doesn't care what we wear. He does not listen to me anymore on Sunday with a suit and tie on than he does on a Saturday afternoon with some shorts on. He doesn't listen to me anymore on Sunday morning at church than he does on a Thursday night when I'm struggling with something. What he's looking for is your attitude and your heart. And God answers prayers that are in faith, but he answers prayers that are earnest 
fervent and heartfelt. That's the kind of prayers that have power and see results. You guys getting something today? Let's look at James 5.16 in the New Living Translation. Notice what it says. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Isn't that good? But notice, if you want to see great power in these results, you're going to have to pray in faith and be earnest, fervent, and heartfelt in your prayers. Let's look at Acts 12. We're landing the plane. Acts 12. So, let me tell you this story for a minute in the book of Acts. It's about Peter. It says in Acts 12 that the king was persecuting the church, the early church. Now, in the book of Acts, they had real persecution. Not like I might get kicked off Facebook and Twitter persecution. It's not persecution. When they said something, they got their head chopped off. Not blocked from social media. Like real persecution. Like, oh, what if, what if they take the church's tax-exempt numbers away? Do you think the early church had a tax-exempt number from Nero? Was he handing those out? Were they getting a discount from the government back then so they could be a tax-free organization? But what if they, 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 they tell us that we can't say anything anymore? You have a mouth. You can say whatever you want to say. I just got to be honest here in 2021. We're not under persecution and under attack in America. (laughs) Read your Bible. The whole book of Acts. Real persecution. No tax exempt numbers. No freedom of religion. No freedom of speech. They were under a dictator. An emperor named Nero. Who was killing Christians... For fun. And yet us in America feel like we are forsaken and persecuted. Let's get real. Come on, let's get real. Come on, can we get real? You guys are being way too quiet in here. Let's get real. There's people in a lot of third world countries around here under dictators that would thank God to be able to have the freedoms that you have. And you're over here freaking out. And people in China are just thanking God to meet with each other for five minutes and read a portion of the Bible. And we're acting like we're under extreme persecution. Come on now, somebody. We're not. All right. Anthony agrees with me. Nobody else does. All right. Come on. You got to get your perspective right. I'm not saying don't pray for your country because our country definitely needs a lot of help. But I'm saying let's not act like we're victims, Christians. All right, I'll get off that. (laughs) 
So the early church actually was getting killed left and right because of what they believed. And it says the king here killed James, who is a church leader, and he saw that the people liked it. So the king was like, okay, let's find another church leader. So he looked for another church leader, and he found Peter. How many know Peter in the Bible? Peter, the same Peter that denied Jesus, the same Peter that stood up on the first day of the church and preached at the day of Pentecost, Peter, that same Peter, he grabbed him and he's like, hey, you guys like it that I killed James? Well, I got Peter. I got another one of these church leaders, and I'm going to kill him too, and I'm going to put him in prison, but we're going to wait to after the Passover. But there's something that happened, and I want this to happen to us today. The church woke up from its stupor. The church woke up from their sleepiness. And they realized, we got to do something about this. Because James was killed, and now they're going to kill Peter, who is another one of our leaders. We need to do something about this. And notice what they did. And while I'm here, I'm going to just throw in another little comment here. Notice they didn't storm the Capitol. Okay. I'm just going to offend everybody before we're said and done. But they didn't. Why? Because they were real Christians. And they realized that violence and nonsense like that will do nothing. And so what did they do? They wanted to change things. They went to pray. Not post, not storm, not complain, pray. I'm right. I don't care what you think right now. I am completely right in everything I've said this morning. Everything. Every last thing. They didn't type. They didn't complain. They didn't storm. They prayed. Because they realized our power is in prayer. Once again, they're under a dictator, not a democracy. And they decided, if we're going to change things in this world, and if we're going to be the church, we're going to have to pray. And the king has already killed one church leader. He's going to kill another one if we don't wake up. And then it says in verse 5, the church prayed. The church prayed. And when the church prayed, things changed. Well, I don't like where our country is going. When the church prayed, things changed. I don't like this new law. Okay. When the church prayed, things changed. I'm not seeing the church stand up and be the church they should be. Well, when the church prayed, things changed. That's how it changed. Not by typing. Not by tweeting. Not by storming. Not by complaining to everyone. By praying is when it changed. 
when the church woke up and realized that our authority is not by power and it's not by might, but it's by the Spirit of God. Our power is not in whose office or who's not. Our power is in the Spirit. Our power is not a natural power. It's a supernatural power. Our power is not in the natural things or in a natural government or in a natural country. Our power is in the spirit because in the spirit, we are victorious. In the spirit is where things change. In the spirit is where the root of the issue is. It's not even the person's fault. It's the spirit behind it. And in the spirit, God said that we can bind things and they would be bound. And we could loose things and they would be loosed. The church should do that because Jesus said he's building his church and he's given us the keys of the kingdom. So we want things to change. When the church prayed, things changed. Even in your personal life, where's complaining ever got you? Got you more upset, more depressed, more anxious, more hopeless, never changed it. Yet we think venting like that all the time is going to do something. No, it's not. It's going to stir you up more, and it's going to stir the person up more that you're feeding that vomit to. I'm something else in 2021, aren't I? No holding back, 2021. That's That's the name. Come on, Miss Marion's with me. How about everybody else? No holding back 2021. Do you like this version of me? I might never go back. I'm liking it. <laughs> when the church prayed, things changed. Notice what it says in Acts 12, verse 5 in the Amplified. Notice this verse. But while Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly for him. Very earnestly. And if you look it up in different translations, it says some of the same words we just read in James 5. That they were fervent, that they were earnest, and they were persistently and constantly praying for him. If you look it up, look it up in the Amplified, look it up in the Passion, look it up in several translations. It says those same words that we read in James 5. Where it says the fervent, earnest, heartfelt prayer makes power available. So the church prayed like that. And guess what happened? There was power released. There was results released. And then it says that suddenly Peter was delivered from prison. And Peter went on to live out his life and fulfill the plan of God. And didn't die until he was an older man. Because the church prayed. I'm challenging you this morning to be a church of prayer. I want to share, as we close, a few prayer goals for us as a church. If you came in today, we have these in the lobby. There's these papers right here. There's a map on the front with some prophecies. On the back, there's some scriptures. But I want to share some prayer goals with you. If you could just listen to me for a few more minutes. So maybe you're saying this morning, okay, pastor, I'm ready to pray. You shouted at me long enough. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in. Your passion has stirred something up in me. I'm ready to pray. Where do I start? I'm glad you asked. Prayer goals for us. First of all, I want to say 
the first thing I would like you to consider praying for is pray for growth. When I say growth, I mean in every way as a church. We want to pray that the church grows. We want to reach new people. We want to reach unchurched, de-churched, don't know about church, all the above. And not for who's going to be the biggest church in the community, but because there's real lost, hurting people that need a good church. And let me, let me tell you something about the amount of people in this community. If every church was filled this morning, in all of southern Indiana and Louisville, there would still be hundreds of thousands of people that didn't have a church. Lest you think there's not a lot, enough to go around. No, I'm praying that every church would be growing right now. That every church would be full and overflowing. But as a church, I believe in this church. Aren't you glad your pastor believes in the church he goes to? And if I didn't think we had something good here, I wouldn't be here. If I didn't think we had something special to offer this region, I wouldn't be preaching so passionate. But I know what we got, and we're the best kept secret in town. And I believe that there's a lot of people that need a good church. And we want to grow because we want to reach those people. We want to reach the lost, the hurting, the broken, or maybe just people that want to know more about God. But we want to pray because we want to grow. Because it's God's will to grow. We want to grow in every area with people, with finances, with influence. Whatever God would give us that we would be good stewards of that. But we're going to pray to grow because it's God's will to grow. I know many of you appreciate this church. Well, don't you want the people you know to experience the same things that you experience? Here's another thing. Pray for God's will to be done in this church. And we know that there's the general word of God you can pray over the church. But what about the specific or prophetic words spoken to this church? That's why I handed you this map right here. Now, this is by no means every prophecy that's ever been spoken about this church because there's... 35 years worth of them. But these are some major ones. And it's about us being a region-changing church. It's about our church having favor on it. It's about our churches reaching people and being a region-changing church. So I ask you in your prayer goals to pray for God's will to happen in this church. His general will, but his specific prophetic will. Words he's spoken, which is right here. Pray for the leadership of the church, the staff, our family. What about the team leaders, the people that lead teams around here? What about your life group leaders? I'm just giving you some prayer goals for us as a church. That's important because there's more responsibility and more pressure on people who have more leadership here's another one pray for each other you ever notice in that verse in james 5 it says pray for each other and you will be healed we should be praying for each other around here if you have someone on your heart pray for them reach out to them you don't got a way for me to do it pray for each other and lastly pray for me The Apostle Paul, all throughout the New Testament, would say, pray for me. 
He would tell the churches, pray for me for strength. Pray for me for boldness. He also would use the term pray for us when he had a group of people with him. He'd say pray for us, that people would receive us, that the message would come out with signs and wonders and miracles. So the Apostle Paul mentioned all throughout the New Testament, pray for me, pray for us. And I want to say this morning, asking that is not selfish. Asking that is not arrogance or pride. It's actually humility. That's why the Apostle Paul would constantly ask people, pray for me. So I'm asking you, as a prayer goal, yes, pray for growth. Pray for God's will and the prophetic words spoken of our church. Pray for leadership. Pray for each other. But pray for me. And I ask that humbly because I know I need help. Oh, you guys don't need help? Okay, cool. No, it's cool. It's good. No, you're good. You're good. Just me. I need help. I don't know about you. And God's will and God's plan is going to take a lot of help to get there. That means I can't do it on my own. I need you and you need me. And we're a happy family. Come on now, somebody. We need each other. And we need to pray for each other. But I want to ask you, just like the Apostle Paul did, pray for me. Because I know to take our church to where it needs to go, I need to be a better pastor and a better leader. Because right now, we're doing great. But to become the region-changing church we're called to be, it's going to take all of us growing together, getting better together. And it's going to take leadership to get there. And the leader I am at 200 people can't be the leader I am with a couple thousand people in a region-changing church. So I need to be better as a pastor and as a leader, and I'm asking you to humbly pray for me that I become that so we can take this church to where it needs to go. But it won't happen without prayer. I need God's strength. I need God's wisdom. I know I'm 33 years old. You don't have to remind me of that. I'm anointed to do what I'm called to do. I'm confident in that. But I need God's strength and wisdom to do it. So I ask that you would pray for me as your pastor and as a leader of this church. Not that I'm more special. Not saying that. I'm just asking as the leader goes, so goes the church. So I need to be better. So the church can be better. I need to be a better leader so the church will be better. I need to be stronger in my body so I can do more for the things of God. I need to be stronger in my mind so I can do more things for the kingdom of God. And I need to have a stronger spirit to take our church to where it needs to go. Did you guys receive that? Last verse I'm going to close with, Romans 15, 30. In the Amplified first. Notice what this... um, Apostle Paul, he's saying to this Roman church, I appeal to you, I entreat you, brethren, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love given by the Spirit to unite with me in earnest wrestling in prayer to God in my behalf. Notice he's inviting this church and saying, can you join me in prayer for praying for me? It's not selfish. Because he's realizing, hey, church, 
I'm the pastor of this Roman church right now, and we can't move forward until I get better and move forward. So church, would you pray for me on my behalf? And I'm praying and you're praying, but it's going to take both of us together. Look what it says in the Passion. I love this. That's why I plead with you because of our union with our Lord Jesus Christ to be partners with me and your prayers to God. Notice that. And that's what I'm asking you today as your pastor. Be partners with me in your prayers to God. Some are like, I want to be your prayer partner, pastor. Okay, I chose you. All of you. You're my prayer partner. Let's do this. He's asking, would you be a partner with me in your prayers to God? Notice my dear brothers and sisters in the faith, with love we share in the Holy Spirit, fight alongside me in prayer. And that's what I'm asking you to do, church family. If you're all in with God and you're all in with church, fight alongside me with your prayers for everything that God wants to do in this church, everything that God wants to do in your life, everything that God wants to do for each other, for the leadership in this church and for me. Fight alongside me in your prayers to see God's will accomplished. You guys get anything today? Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.